Up next, a message from Victory Life Church of Milton. Minister on uh, baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. I'm going to touch on that this morning. Got a lot of scriptures, hope to get through. And uh, maybe we can dispel some myths uh, uh, on it. And uh, I want to start with uh, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. I want to look at the 12th, 13th, uh, and part of the 14th chapter this morning, and then some other scriptures. Uh, but it says, now, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant that you know that ye were Gentiles carried away onto these dumb idols even as ye were led. Therefore I give you to understand that no man speaketh by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are diversities of administrations but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the workings of miracles, uh, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of the spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretations of tongues. But these all work that the one and self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. Um, now, I want to just kind of stop there for a moment. Now, you notice it says there are diversities of gifts and there's diversities of administration. Now, the gifts of the spirit um, uh, is basically this. There's the power of gifts. There's nine gifts of the spirit. And these are all given to build up, strengthen, and encourage the body of Christ. If one of them has been done away with, they've all been done away with. And I know that we sit under a certain uh, teaching that says, well, this is no longer needed, this is no longer needed. And one thing that they use is the scripture, when that which is perfect has come, then this will be done away with. Well, and so uh, a lot of the teaching is, well, now that we got the, the printed word of God, that's perfect, and that, that is true. So these other things are not needed. Well... If you look at Ephesians, uh, the fourth chapter, it says that, uh, you know, it talks about uh, the calling. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the working of the ministry, uh, for the perfecting of the saints, until we all come on to that perfect man. So one thing is talking about the gifts are until the church comes to a place of perfection. Amen. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, there's basically... Uh, everything in the Old Testament basically is to reveal what is going to come a past in the New Testament. I've always said it said this way, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so we see a lot of the uh, things that are done in there, the sacrifices and whatnot, that portray uh, Christ and his sacrifice and things are coming. But now we've, we've ministered on the gifts before, so I'm not going to get into that uh, this morning other than the... Um, the one, but we'll get into that again later on for those that weren't here. Uh, now, uh, I would encourage you all to read the uh, rest of the 12th chapter. I'm not going to get all into it this morning because I want to look at these others. Uh, but in the 28th verse, it does say, And God has set in the church first apostles, second prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. Now, I want you to uh, remember and hang on to that diversities of tongues. 
And uh, one place says uh, diverse kinds of tongues. Now, uh, a lot of times we, we hear teaching that, you know, that uh, the uh, people say, well, don't, don't strive for, uh, for tongues because after all, the main thing is prophecy. Now, prophecy is this, and some people get it mixed up with the prophetic. One of the administrative gifts is the office of a prophet, which is entirely different than prophecy. Everybody in the church should strive uh, or seek God through the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is when someone stands up under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, uh, gives a word of prophecy which builds up, edifies, strengthens, and encourages. If somebody gets up and, and they're lambasting or scolding uh, somebody or chastening somebody or the body in general, it's not prophecy because it doesn't edify, it doesn't build up, it doesn't encourage. Now, a prophet can come with some pretty hard words at times. And that's different because he's operating in, in the office of a prophet. And they can bless or they can scold. Now, if you're around any real prophet, sometimes they'll expose things. That, you know, it's like when Brother Alan Arrowwood used to come. One prophet said, I want you <coughs> let me know when he's coming so I can repent of everything. Because Alan just allowed to call you out. And, you know. and I'll say this now. The purpose is not to embarrass uh, through the prophetic. Uh, when, when somebody is openly exposed through the office of a prophet, it's because God has dealt with that person to repent. But God so loves us that he'll do anything he can to bring us to a place to wake up. Amen. Uh, I remember one time years ago, we had a, uh, an evangelist and a pastor that came to visit one of the services. Uh, when I, Brother Allen was here, and that was the first time I ever met him, or the first time he ever ministered in our church. And I remember him walking right up to this couple. Uh, they were sitting, we had pews, and they were sitting right here, and he said, God said, you all better quit shacking up. And you talk about a hush falling over the, converse, the congregation. Now, the evangelist, he up and packed off, and he left town. The pastor repented. It was a lady pastor. She repented and got her uh, life straightened out. It's a blessing. But had God been dealing with them before that ever came out? Sure he did. Because uh, Now someone told me one time, said God would never uh, do anything to ever embarrass anybody because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. <coughs> My uh, response to that is, ask Ananias and Sapphira if they were embarrassed. When they were rebuked for lying to the Holy Spirit, they dropped dead right in church. And it said it caused a, a, a fear to fall on the... You know, uh, there was a, a holy reverence for the things of God after that, I'll tell you. Well, let me let me go on to this, because the main thing we're talking about is, is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, this type of thing. Now, I want to stress this, because I've, you know, I've been in the ministry uh, since uh, about 1970. I uh, was listening to a record by a, a fellow from a different uh, denomination, and I'm sure he meant well, but he was very misinformed. He said, now, the, the trouble with Pentecostals and charismatic people is they don't believe in salvation. They just believe you need to speak in tongues. Well, nothing's further than the truth. If there isn't first a born-again experience and, and asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and be your Savior, uh, you're going nowhere. So it all starts with salvation. In fact, is when we get in, we look at tongues a little bit more, we want to see something there, but... You know, remember we, we saw the scripture said there's diversities of tongues. Now, there's the 
becomes an interpretation, which I touched on a little bit earlier. When, when this comes forth, when somebody gets up and they speak in tongues in the congregation, it's always to be interpreted. Now, sometimes they'll be moved a little by their uh, own spirit or whatnot, and they'll jump up and say something. And actually, it, it really won't be tongues and interpretation. They may be praising God. You can, you know, the Apostle Paul said he praised in the Spirit, and he praised with understanding. So there, there was the two of that. He, he said he sang in the Spirit, and he sang with understanding. He prayed. Uh, so there's a time in my personal life of praising uh, that, that I won't even understand it. The Bible says I'm speaking mysteries unto God. Nobody can understand it, not even me, but God can understand it. Now the purpose of this, uh, <coughs> I can pray and Satan can know what's on my heart. Oh God, I need you to do this, I need you to do it. If this doesn't happen, Lord, I'm going to give up. You know what I'm saying? I can con God in my prayer. Make him think something so important has got to happen right now or else. You ever do that? Well, when I'm praying in tongues, it's the Holy Spirit motivating my spirit and I'm, I'm speaking mysteries unto God that only God understands. Well, amen. And therefore, Satan doesn't know what He can't speak in tongues. He may have a counterfeit. You know, we know that some of these false religions, they have their mantra and all this stuff. But you have to have a reality to have a counterfeit. If they didn't have a real $20 bill, a counterfeit would never be able to pass a counterfeit $20. So they have to have some kind of uh, uh, reality. So anyhow, to get back to this, there's diversities of tongues. So when I get up, uh, I'm to seek to interpret when the tongues comes first. Now, it says that prophecy is a better gift in except, and we'll look at this, except when they speak in tongues and it's interpreted, then it's equal with prophecy. But if it isn't interpreted, the rest of the people don't even know what's being said. Now, I've been in churches, and sometimes in some of the old line Pentecostal churches, they get a little uh, rambunctious, and that's fine. I, I remember I used to go to one church that the pastor would get so upset, he'd I mean, so excited, he'd, he'd speak for a while, and then he'd, he'd go off in tongues. Well, I don't know what he said. It was edifying him, but it wasn't doing nothing for me. Other than the fact that I was excited that he was excited. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I'm saying. And so, well, let, let me t look at this a little bit further. So there's diversities of tongues. There's the prayer language uh, that's, that's entirely different from tongues and interpretation. That's why it says diversities are different kinds of tongues. Are you all with me? Praise the Lord. Let me, let me go on to the 13th chapter. Uh, and have you ever noticed, now, the 12th chapter has to do with the gifts. The 13th chapter uh, basically touches on the need uh, of a love relationship with God and with the brethren. So it's sandwiched right in there because... Uh, the Bible says, Though I speak with tongues and, uh, tongues and men and angels and have not love, it's tinkling bells and sounding brass. So I'm not impressed because someone speaks in tongues and tells you this. Tongues does not make you a super Christian. The fact is, too much is given, much is expected. And I think tongues is one of the most uh, misused, misunderstood, uh, 
uh, most abused things in, in full gospel churches. <coughs> I believe in tongues. I can say like the Apostle Paul, I speak in tongues more than y'all, which makes me think he was a southerner. Well, amen. Because if he was a Yankee, he'd have said he was guys. <laughs> amen. So, but now let's, let's take a look at the love chapter here. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, <coughs> and I have not charity, I am become a sounding uh, brass and tinkling bells. And though I have gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not uh, charity, it profits nothing. Charity suffers long and is unkind. Charity envious, not. Charity vaunts not its own, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemingly, seeks not its own, is not easy provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecy, they shall fail, and whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. And this is something that people, uh, some folks would say, well, it's gone away because of this. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, I guarantee you, he was not talking about putting away speaking in tongues. But now what he's saying here, see this, uh, uh, any of the gifts, you never are to follow after the gifts. Uh, we're to cha uh, cherish and thank God for the gifts. We should seek to operate in the gifts. But I'm not impressed with somebody because he operates in the gifts. By their fruits you shall know them. Because he said, though I have all these gifts and though I can do all these things, if I don't have love, it's all in vain. See, a lot of people do things because they're religiously motivated to do it. And that won't get it. Some people, they go out and they witness uh, to the lost and dying world because they feel it's their duty. Well, we should go out and witness, but what motivates us to do it is because our love of God and our concern for our fellow man. If that isn't the reason, it's a waste of time. And all you're doing is ministering in the letter. The letter killeth, but the Spirit bringeth life. You can have two people minister on the same thing uh, people will be touched and embraced it by one person and the other person will make them angry. Why? Because one has ministered in the letter and not the spirit. One thing that uh, people like to get on uh, where there's a little bit of legalism is whether a woman should have long or short hair, whether a man should have long or short hair. Now the Apostle Paul uh, said that a woman is not to uh, adorn men's clothing. Well, vice versa. Now what was he talking about? Well, if we look it's a custom. It wasn't talking about Levi's or dresses, I'll tell you that. For one thing, they wore robes, men and women. And according to the color or the style, the tight belt or whatever, had, whether it was female or male. Now what it's talking about is not to try to pass yourself off. It's talking about transvestite. If you're a man, don't try to present yourself as a woman. Don't dress like a woman. If you're a woman, don't try to uh, dressed like a man. Because here's the things. Uh, I wouldn't wear a woman's pantsuit, and yet there's certain uh, 
groups that would say that was uh, masculine. And this is kind of kind of crude, but I remember one lady was telling me they, they grew up in old-line Pentecostal circles, and uh, her mother never had her hair cut and stuck way up like a beehive and all this, but you can see her neck and her ears and all this. She would die before she wore pants. Uh, but she said, you know, sometimes my mother would be out working in the yard or garden. She'd wear a dress. She'd be bending over. And she said she'd be mooning everybody that passed by. <laughs> so, so what's the... You know, if it's respectable, I, I believe in modest dress. Uh, you know, put something on. Cover your body. That's right. And, uh, but sometimes we can get... It's, it's like on the hair thing. Now, Paul said this, that he thought it was a shame for men to have long hair. But he said, in the church, we have no such custom. Anyways, this shouldn't be a legalistic thing, and it's none of your business whether they have or not. You may have your preferences whether it should be or not, but in the church, we have no such custom. Now, I've heard a lot of legalistic sermons on hair, but they've always left that verse out. I thought, why don't they say, but in the church we have no such custom. See? So, people in their legalistic hardline things have done more damage than good. Amen. And so, we, we are getting back to tongues here. Just thought, we, you know, we're kind of touching on these things here. Anyhow, uh, he goes on, now that we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face... Uh, now I know in part, but when that, sh- uh, but shall no- I shall know even as also I am known. And now by the faith, hope, and charity, uh, these three. But the greatest of this is charity. The King James uses the word charity, but basically he says the greatest of this is love. <coughs> I will touch on this right quick. What is love? Love is not breaking out in goosebumps when you look at somebody. Oh wow! I think I'm in love. Uh, love is this. Love is commitment to the betterment of somebody else at the sacrifice of yourself. For God so loved, he gave. Amen. So, when people uh, say, well, I, I woke up, and see, love is a commitment. So when someone wakes up and said, well, uh, I, I, we just we don't have anything in common anymore. I just fell out of love with them. You know what they're saying? Is I've decided not to be committed anymore. The, the lust, the infatuation, whatever it is, it wore off, so now I want to look for something else. Well, let's be frank. That's what it is. Because love, even when you get my age and you begin to look more like Alfred Hitchcock than you do Joe College, uh, and your wife is still committed because she loves you. Or when she... <laughs> I don't know how to... <laughs> we, we won't go there. But you know what I'm saying? She doesn't look like Barbie anymore. But, uh, although sometimes when I look at some of these elderly ladies my age, and I look at my wife, I say, God, you sure have been good to me. <laughs> nah. No, but love, uh, love is this. And that's by their fruits you shall know them. How do they... What's their concern to their fellow man? How is this? I can tell more about a person by how they treat their wife 
or how they treat their husband than I can anything else. In fact, it's not to get sidetracked, but uh, it says when we get married, we become one flesh. So you can't do anything against your spouse that you're not doing against you. If you're spewing hatred and anger towards them, uh, you're doing it to yourself. Amen. When you bless them, you're blessing uh, yourself. So praise. Are you all with me this morning? Amen. And that's the secret to being married 50 years. Well, praise the Lord. Now we're going to get down here and, and look at some things here and uh, finish this up. The, uh, chapter, the 14th uh, chapter, he said, Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So when I'm praying in, in the Spirit, and uh, then I don't know what I'm saying. I'm speaking unto God. I'm not doing it for you. And therefore, I should be respectful of you when I get in a prayerful mood. You know what I'm saying? Now, if we're in a prayer service, and the service is going that way, and there's several people praying in tongues and whatnot, and some get a little louder than others, that's not out of order. But if the service isn't going that way, and all of a sudden someone jumps up and starts speaking in tongues uh, during prayer or something, then they're out of order because they're bringing confusion. Amen. I was in the Catherine Kuhlman meeting the first time I ever saw this. and uh, You know, sometimes... They, uh, she wanted, this person evidently wanted to bring first tongues and interpretation. But see, you don't interrupt to do that. If someone's preaching, you don't dump up and all of a sudden start speaking in tongues and say you had to obey the Spirit. Because the Bible says the Spirit is subject to the prophet. I couldn't help myself. No, you just weren't disciplined. You could wait. God will make a time for it. Anyhow, this woman got up on one of Catherine Kuhlman's meetings and I think it was during the praise service, they were singing, and all of she jumps up and starts speaking real loud in tongues, and Catherine Coleman says, sit down, you're out of order. <laughs> the Holy Ghost is a gentleman, and he doesn't interrupt himself. Now, and she went on to say, the gift is of God, but the woman is misusing the gift. So praise the Lord. Now, it's kind of a touchy thing to, subject, uh, to get on, because we don't want to hinder anybody from being obedient to the Spirit. And see, there should be uh, speaking in tongues. The fact is, the Bible says in the church, it should be done by two or three people. Uh, if, if the whole service is people taking turns, it's out of order. But if they're doing it two or three people, whatever, you know, one, two, three, that's fine. But there's more to be done than just speaking in tongues. And fact is, if I had been around Pentecostal people before I got the baptism, I'd probably still be a Catholic. But I spoke in tongues before I ever heard anybody. In fact, if someone told me, he said, you don't belong here anymore. You need to be with them people down the street. And uh, I didn't use a whole lot of wisdom at that time, but uh, you know, I'm not going to go on how I received it. When I received the baptism... Uh, but I didn't know a Pentecostal from whatever. In fact, when I first got involved with Pentecostal people, I thought God sent me there to quiet them down, straighten them out. And I became a real holy roller. 
Praise the Lord. And not ashamed of it. Now he says, uh, he speaks mysteries unto God, but he that prophesies speaks unto men to edify and to exhort and to comfort. So that's the reason of prophecy. And he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Now, a lot of people stop right there, but we're going to look a little further. Now, but let me ask you this. How are you going to edify somebody else if you're not edified? If you're not built up and encouraged, how are you going to encourage somebody else? And so, when I'm speaking in tongues, I'm praying in tongues, I'm edifying myself. I'm speaking mysteries unto God. Well, praise the Lord. Some people speak in tongues so they'll show you that they have the gift and that you may think they're more spiritual. But it has nothing to do with your spirituality. It has to do with your faith in receiving something that God's asked, uh, asked you to seek that it would build you up and strengthen you. But like I say, it's one of the mis, uh, most uh, commonly misused things uh, in charismatic and Pentecostal circles. Now let me tell you the difference between charismatic church and Pentecostal church. Uh, in the late 60s, there was what's called the charismatic movement. And what it was, Pentecost went uptown. If you all know what I'm saying, in the old days, the Pentecostal churches were generally the ones on the off or the, off, the wrong side of the tracks. They were looked down at by the established Christian community. And it, it cost them a lot to, to serve God and to press in in believing in the gifts and healing and deliverance. In the late 60s, uh, a great phenomenon started. I think it started at, uh, at a Catholic Notre Dame. All of a sudden, Catholics started speaking in tongues. And then Presbyterians and Methodists and, and uh, everybody else. Baptists even. And uh, they didn't know what to do about it. And so... Instead, and so, you know, instead of going in and joining the old Pentecostal ranks, a lot of interdenominational independent churches sprung up at this time and known as the Charismatic Church or the Charismatic Renewal. Uh, the Jesus people was spawned out of this. I don't know. Maybe some of you aren't familiar with that. Maybe you're not old enough. I was saved in the Jesus people movement. I was a 30-year-old hippie when I got saved. Married with four kids. Had Charlie Chan mustache, goatee. Little blue sunglasses, hair down here. And my wife made me get rid of them. No. <laughs> no, I just, you know. But that was the, the, the realm I came out of. I, I was saved during this time. And so I kind of grew up in it. In fact, is that when we first went into the ministry, the most churches we preached at was Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, uh, Catholic. And uh, even though I was with a Pentecostal organization, and things have kind of changed, uh, but and now uh, they've kind of pretty much—you don't hear the the, the the separation so much. Well, we're Pentecostal, we're charismatic, but the charismatic movement, like I'm saying, basically came out of what we call the uptown churches compared to where Pentecost was. And now Pentecost, like everybody else, we've moved across the right side of the tracks, which I don't know is a good thing or not. Because you don't see that, that brokenness, that praying, that seeking God like the, the old-timers used to do. 
Well, praise the Lord. Now, let, let me go on here. We, uh, they said, so, uh, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Now, in Jude 20, uh, we'll find where it says that, uh, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So one thing that helps me build up my faith, helps me understand the Word of God, is praying in tongues. Amen. But he said, uh, and then he goes on to say, I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh in tongues, except, now I want us to remember the word, except he interprets that the church may receive edifying. In other words, if I just get up and speak in tongues, and that's all you hear, you're not edified. But if that is interpreted, then it is equal with prophecy. It's basically the same thing now. Now, and we're all to seek uh, prophecy. We're all to seek interpretation. And uh, he said, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except that I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or giving doctrine? In other words, if I'm speaking in tongues uh, and it's not interpreted, it's not going to benefit you. No matter whether it's these other things or not. Uh, and everything without life giveth sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound. How shall it be what is piped or harped if the trumpeter gives an uncertain sound or shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, except ye be uttered by uh, tongue words, easy to understand, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak unto the air. <laughs> in other words, hey, don't just jump up and... and, and uh, Speak in tongues if, 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 if it's not going to be interpreted. Now, a lot of times, somebody else will have the interpretation. If they don't have the interpretation, then the one speaking in tongues should ask God to give him the interpretation. Well, amen. See, and a lot of times, we kind of hold back on this, so when people would be uh, strengthened, uh, are built up or encouraged, it doesn't come forth. See, now, tongues are the interpretation is a sign to the unbeliever. Tongues without interpretation just confuses the unbeliever. So praise the Lord. Are you all with me? So let me, let me go on. Uh, it says, so likewise you expect, uh, even so you force much, Spiritual gifts seek that 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 may excel to the edifying of the church. In other words, whatever you're seeking uh, to be used by a gift, seek it for the purpose of edifying the church, not personal gain or recognition. Amen. And he says, and therefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Make sure it's interpreted. Now, here's something else. People say, well, you know, that guy spoke for five minutes in tongues and uh, it took 20 minutes for the interpretation. It's interpretation, not translation. A translation may be a word for word what was said in a different language. Interpretation, it may take longer or a shorter time to explain what the interpretation was. Amen. So, praise the Lord. 
For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? Will I pray with the spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding also? He said, I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Now, I've been in services where the spirit of God would be so strongly anointing, and it wasn't a loud uh, uh, shouting match, but all of a sudden people would begin to sing in the spirit, and it'd be beautiful. Be speaking in an unknown tongue. But it wasn't confusion. It wasn't people stumbling over each other and being louder and quieter than each other. It just all blended together. I was in a church in Seattle one time, uh, and the congregation was singing and praising the Lord, and they began to praise the Lord in, in the Spirit. And then when they stopped, and this is a huge cathedral-type place, this beautiful voice uh, from up above the congregation began to sing, and I looked around, including myself, everybody began to weep because it was a, a heavenly choir or whatever singing, but it just touched uh, the people so much. But see, we, we get into praise and, and worship. The fact is, praise uh, generally should lead to worship. If people have the right attitude, see, uh, we don't want to have a song service here. We want to have a praise service where people open their heart. And I'm not so concerned whether it's fast, whether it's slow, whatever it is, if, if there's words that's glorifying and edifying God, I don't care what the tune is. Because I, I'm praising God. I'm not there just getting involved in a music festival or something. But I'm there, and if we really have the right attitude, uh, when we get into the praise service, it'll lead us into worship. Worship is a higher form of praise. In fact, is when you really, it talks about worshiping and falling prostrate before God. So uh, worshiping isn't always swinging from the chandeliers or bouncing off the walls or whatever. Uh, worship is just, when real worship comes, uh, you just get overwhelmed by the awe of the greatness of God. And you, we really don't see much of that in church anymore because we're on too much of a schedule. And we don't really realize why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, I remember I went to church and and um, my attitude was wrong in it, but I knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to open in three songs. The pastor's sister was going to do a special. They were going to have sponsive reading, and then depending on how much time that took, the pastor would preach from 15 minutes to a half hour, and we'd go home. And I used to steal the joy of my wife, because I'd say, well, we're going to go there, and let me tell you what's going to happen today. Now, the only thing wrong with that was my attitude. Because somebody could have got in there and then those three songs really opened their heart up into praise and worship. Instead of just looking at it as a formal part of a service. And that's one thing we've got to get away from. We're in church. We're here to glorify and magnify God. And everything that we're motivated. Will this edify? Will this build up? Will this bless the body? Uh, will this glorify God? Amen. Well, let me go on here. He said, what is it? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. Also, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks, but will without others is not edified. I thank, now listen, this is what Paul said. This was after he put away childish things. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. 
Then he said, I, I, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm speaking in tongues. And I probably do it more than you guys do. I'm just not out trying to shout you down or overshadow you with my wonderful gift. Amen. And then I'm going to... Uh, it goes on, it says, uh, Brethren, be not children... In understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but not in understanding be men. In the law it is written, uh, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak unto this people, and yet for all that I will, they hear me, saith the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, and not uh, to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and they're coming to those that are unlearned and unbelievers, will they not say that they are mad? But if all prophesy and there's one that come in that believe not or one that learn, unlearned and he convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest so that falling down on his face he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So in other words, this is the importance of interpretation. In what, now, this is, now, this is not talking about the prayer language. This is talking about speaking in tongues with interpretation. If everybody's speaking in tongues, and, and I've been in churches where people just go wild speaking in tongues, believe me, and there wouldn't be a word of interpretation. In fact, I was in a service one time years and years ago when there was this little Presbyterian lady came, a chaplain from the base part of the service, and everybody began to jump around and speak in tongues. <laughs> I remember, uh, this is in a homemaker's clubhouse, I remember she hit that back door and she was running. She said, I'm getting out of these people are mad. <laughs> it scared the fire out of her. I don't know if she's ever quit running. But, uh, anyhow, but if all prophesy and they come into one, uh, but let me, it's the 26th, and now is, uh, then brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, uh, ha has an interpretation. Let all things be done decently in order. <coughs> now, I want to back up to you. Now that we, and I'm, I'm not, uh, every denomination probably has flaws. You know, we talk about full gospel churches. I've never been in one. <laughs> Where they, they had the full gospel and they're acting 100% correct. Somehow man always bleeds in a little bit. You know that? Um, but anyhow, uh, he's saying here, uh, has a psalm. You know what a psalm is? A psalm is singing to music. So I know that some of the brethren feel it's uh, out of order to have musical instruments in church uh, because it's not mentioned in the New Testament. Well, it is. Because that's what a psalm is. If you go to the Greek, it's when you put music to song, it's a psalm. Otherwise, you just have a, uh, a doctrine or a, a tongue, a revelation. But all these things are done decent in order. And if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or three at the most, by three, that by course, and let one interpret. In other words, don't turn the whole service into who can speak in tongues more and who can interpret more. I remember I was at a friend's house one time and this couple come by and wanted to know if he was going to church. And um, 
He said, yeah. And he said, I said, why? And he said, well, uh, the Lord's laid on my heart that when we get there tonight, I'm speaking tongues and my wife's to interpret. Well, I have a problem with that. But, I mean, that just, I'm just showing you how some people think because they're unlearned or they don't really get into the Word and they don't really see God about it. So they either throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, or they go hog wild with everything. And they misuse. You can misuse the gifts of God. And this is why we don't run after gifts. We run after God. By their fruits. I don't care how many people are healed by somebody praying for them. I want to see the fruit in that man's life. You know the gifts and callings of God are without repentance? That means you can receive the gift of God and then totally uh, go into air and backslide and, and be an axe murderer. <laughs> that may be an extreme. <laughs> but the gifts will still operate. Why? Because God honors His Word. Doesn't mean He's operating, uh, honoring the man anymore. But the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Because they say, well, look what this person did. I thought he was the man of God. He probably was at one time. But then he, uh, he let himself go and did his own thing. And so, uh, I'm not impressed by that. I love to see healing. I believe in healing. I love to see the gifts operate. But uh, I'm going to look at the character of the man. I want to know something about him. You know when you really know a person? When you see him in a crisis. Anybody can be anything to all men without the pressure. When you're under pressure, the real you comes out. And one reason God allows the real pressure to come on to see if you need to make an adjustment. It's not to beat you down, but say, hey, I missed it in that area. I need to shore up. I need to get stronger than God in that area. Well, praise the Lord. Now, let me go on. And he says, for, uh, but let it be done, you know. Uh, let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. In other words, don't try to interrupt each other and jump into it. Let everything be done decent. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirit of the prophet are subject to the prophet. So you can't jump up and say, I couldn't hold back. God made me do it. Well, God may have motivated you to do it, but he would have picked a better time. Well, praise the Lord. But uh, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in, in, in all churches of the saints. Uh, and uh, uh, it says, Let your women keep silent in the church, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in church. Now, it's not talking about ministering, because, you know, uh, I can show you where Aquila and, Aquila and Priscilla taught a better way and where women were used. What he's talking about, see, in the early days of the church, uh, there was a newfound freedom in the Christian church. Women were, under the Old Testament, under the uh, Mosaic law, were almost as impressed as, as Muslims. <laughs> I mean, really, it was a hard life. Well, there was a freedom through Christ. And what he's saying is, ladies, if you want to learn something, ask your husband at home. Don't shout across, George, what's he talking about? <laughs> are, are just interrupting. Yeah. In fact, as I can show you scriptures, it says, uh, you know, women have to be under proper covering. Well, so do men. And also says that we are to be 
subject one to another. And so, I mean, it's a whole thing of getting, I can't take one scripture and make a doctrine out of it. But we have a tendency to do that. See, and, and women uh, are this. They're a man's helpmate, not a slave. She's to walk by his side. Uh, God told Abraham, listen to Sarah. In fact, if he'd listened to Sarah more, he wouldn't have got in some of the messes he got into. I got her into some of the messes he got into. Like saying, now you tell him you're my sister, not your wife. And they got run out of the kingdom because of it. Because the old king just happened to look out there and he said, now that guy, if that's his sister, something is wrong. He don't carry on with your sister that way. Well, God, I think, showed him in a dream. And so the king came and said, why did you lie to me? You brought a curse on me because he was going to marry Sarah. Well, we don't want to get into all that. But uh, I'm going to show you a few examples here in the church. Uh, and we'll go through these right quick in Acts. Uh, uh, second chapter, I want to read a couple of scriptures. Show you that this wasn't just a one-time thing. Um, okay, Acts 2, 1 through 8. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like of a fire and sat upon uh, each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man, get a hold of this, every man heard them speak in his own language. Every man and every one of these had a different language. But every one of these, as they spoke in tongues, they understood them as if they were speaking in their own language. You know why? God allowed the gift of interpretation to operate in them. And it was as if they were speaking in their own language. Every man heard them. And I've heard this ministered on sometimes, and, uh, and they never put that in, you know, well, God just allowed them to speak Italian or this or that or whatever. Now, one thing about these were devout Jews from every nation. So one thing is, they all could either speak Aramaic or Hebrew. But they all came from different nations that had a different basic language. And they all heard them in that language. So Acts 19. Uh, I know we're going a little long this morning. But uh, I promised a couple of people we'd get into this. Okay, 1 through uh, 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast from Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Then what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Uh, then Paul, uh, uh, John verily baptized with the water of repentance, saying unto you that they shall believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they all spoke with tongues and prophesied. Amen. Let me go back to Acts 8. Um, 
15 through 20. And uh, who, when they come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given unto them, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whoever I lay my hands, uh, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now the reason I brought this out, what there had to be something happened that Simon saw something happen when they prayed for him to receive the Holy Ghost. What was the evidence? They spoke another tongue. There was a manifestation. A couple other scriptures I have here that uh, uh, will help clarify some things. Um, John 20, 21 through 23. And then Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they shall be remitted unto them. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now the reason I brought this out is you'll find out there's two experiences with the Holy Ghost. Now I believe this is the first salvation experience. When I'm saved, the Spirit of God enters me. Jesus met these disciples before he ascended. He breathed on them and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now afterwards, uh, uh, in Luke 11, uh, 9 through 13, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Well, let, let me go to Acts 1 first, 7 and 8. And he said unto them, Is it not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in your hands? But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Now he told them they were going to have a Holy Ghost experience, and this was after he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so in, in Luke, uh, we find this statement. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And if a son shall ask uh, bread of any of you, that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will you uh, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your, unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? So there's something required for receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have to ask. And how do you receive it? How do you receive salvation? You ask in faith. You come believing to receive, and you receive. Amen. Has anybody gotten anything out of this this morning? Have I answered any questions? Because, uh, see, I, I believe, and I want to say this, like I said earlier, a lot of people that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost are going to be responsible for how they handled it. Because the much is given, much is expensive. It's not just so I can go around and say I've had an experience and then show myself to be an idiot. But it's to help me get deeper into the things of God. Now I'll say this. If you've ever had any involvement, there's two ways people come into the supernatural. Either through the occult, uh, uh, or either through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, now one thing a lot of people don't realize, we've we got a society 
that really embraces drugs and makes an excuse for it. Do you know that the word pharmacy or pharmakeia uh, is the same word, the root word for sorcery? And so when I'm using, when I'm misusing prescription drugs or I'm using illegal drugs, I'm into sorcery. Anything that alters the mind. And see, this is why we see how our society in general is going to hell in a hasket today. Why we see young families falling apart. Why we see our jails full. Because Satan has unleashed this unholy revival that everybody's involved in and they don't really know they're involved in it. They don't know what's wrong. And the church doesn't know what's wrong. The church doesn't hardly speak out against it. I remember I had a fellow here years ago that was in the Navy and he uh, smoked pot. And he told me, he said, I will quit when you can show me a scripture that says it's wrong. Well, you know, I couldn't find one. And I was praying one night and the Lord spoke to me and he said this, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So to be sober, to be vigilant, it means this, to have complete control of one's faculties. Now, when you abuse alcohol, when you're using illegal drugs, you do not have control of your faculties. You're leaving yourself open uh, for demonic invasion. And this is why a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, and even some Indians where they smoke peyote and this and that, and they say they have these religious experiences. Um, I believe they do, but they're demonic. I believe when people get high on acid, uh, what they're seeing is they're seeing into a, a, a demonic world that really exists. Uh, there's more to what we call hucillations than there's hucillations. Hucillation. Well, my tongue isn't working right. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> and so it, it's something that's really in, uh, it, it, it's something that I've had people come up wanting to pray to receive the baptism and couldn't. And after we led them in a prayer of repentance and renunciation of such things that they've been involved in, such as reading horoscope, which is forbidden, uh, uh, charming, which is hypnotism. See, the Bible brings out all these things, and, and, and they call it uh, honoring false gods. They call it spiritual adultery. And the thing is, the church has never really spoke on it much. Uh, I, a friend of mine was a Lutheran. He said, I want you to come up to my church and pray with me today. He said, our pastor is wanting to enlighten everybody. And so we're going to have a study on all the occults and what they believe. And so he had all these signs hanging in the church. And you walked in there, it was just depressing. He meant well. You know, we got in, we begin to uh, rebuke and take authority over any spirits that's in there. And it sounded like a, a bunch of bats flew out of the attic. And so there's a lot of things I would like to get into that has to do with how serious I can serve God. What may be hindering my walk? What causes me to stumble? Now, uh, I know this has been uh, maybe a lot for some people that don't know and what have you. Uh, but, uh, and I may be too soon. But anybody that wants to seek the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I'm, I'm wanting to get with them and pray with them. If they want to know more, or if they want to just kind of think things over a little bit, I'll do that. But it's a very, very important thing. Uh, somebody might say, well, how do you know uh, that it's from God? Well, the Bible says if you ask him, he's not going to give you a stone. 
A fellow told me one time, he said, how do you know what you got isn't from the devil? I said, well, if it's from the devil, he sure messed up. Because I'll tell you what, after I have this experience, I become completely fanatic about Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Victory Life Church. Go to victorylifechurchofmilton.com for more. And may God bless you.